If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where I talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. I am your host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago. And welcome back, dear listeners. After a a bittersweet, a melancholy week for the Just Not Sports podcast. Appreciate the outpouring of support after last week's episode with my former co-host, Emmy-winning sports producer for CBS Sports, Gareth Hughes, talking about like us breaking down as two lifelong friends, former colleagues, him re-getting cancer for the second time in his life, and what his process and, and mindset and emotions and family life and all that stuff, pop culture interests, what all that stuff has been as, as he's undergone treatment. And the outpouring of support on my personal Facebook page, because Gareth no longer has one. Uh, the outpouring of support, old people from... Well, I shouldn't say old people. Uh, do not take that the wrong way. Old friends and uh, acquaintances from high school, from middle school, from Oxford, Ohio, coming out of the woodwork, wanting to talk to Gareth. So um, if you go to that page on my personal uh, Facebook page, you can see his wife, Amy Santamaria, posted a link where you can get updates from Gareth. So so click on that if you want to like subscribe to that. And, and just, you know, hopefully Gareth, you know, saw that response. He's not on Facebook. I think it's time for him to admit this is probably a worthwhile experiment, a worthwhile stand against our digital democracy that now he may need to rethink, given the sheer volume of people who want to talk with him, who want to communicate with him. So, Gareth, Godspeed on not just your fight against cancer, but your fight against Mark Zuckerberg and the temptation to go back onto those platforms um, but no, it was it was great to hear the outpouring of support, and it was awesome, truly, to be re- reconnecting with a lot of people who are rooting for Gareth, who know he's got this. So, Gareth, we're with you, and uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. So, a look ahead. Coincidentally, someone who has also spent time as a graduate student in Oxford, Ohio, at Miami University, unlike me, not a townie, Katie Barnes. And Katie Barnes is a really fantastic reporter for ESPNW, covers the intersection between sports, between culture. And so I reached out to Katie and I said, come on the show. Topic is yours. Open for anything you want to debate. And they got back to me and they said, let's do Grey's Anatomy. And I said, okay, awesome. Grey's Anatomy. Cool. You know, um, I could talk about, you know, Catherine Heigl having sex with a ghost. You know, I mean, I, I know the, I know the main beats, but then Katie, you know, they reach out and they said, but I want to go even deeper, not just the show, but fan fiction and writing fan fiction about these characters, about Grey's Anatomy. And I was like, hell yeah, all in. Because <laughs> I found it just not sports, not just to nerd out on the things that I'm super grounded in, but to open up my ears and listen to other people's passion points and experiences. And what Katie has to say about the fan fiction process around this show was Awesome. And it honestly unexpected. When I think fan fiction, I guess maybe I have an, an old fashioned antiquated view. I, you know, I think Star Wars fan fiction. I think you know Comic Con cosplay and and you know uh, you know that kind of stuff. And I think what this did was open my eyes to here is a show that has a vibrant online you know creative community that is passionate about these characters 
and wants to dive into their lives, their their relationships, their personality traits in a much more distinctive, creative way than just sort of passively watching them. And I thought it was super cool. And Katie goes into a lot of depth about what led them to start writing and how that pivoted from Meredith and Derek to Calzona, the uh, LBGTQ couple on the show and the importance of representation for a community watching the show and seeing a couple like that and the complexities of representation when the characters start to make choices that you may not agree with or you don't necessarily relate to. So Katie goes into a lot of detail about you know how their writing progressed over the years and what the community was like and the ups and downs of putting yourself out there on the internet. So I thought it was an awesome discussion. Whether you like the show or not, whether you've seen the show or not, I think takes a backseat to this is more of a creative exploration about what drives fans to put down the remote and then you know pick up their computer and get creative. So I think it's a lot of fun. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Katie. And then stick around afterwards. I will be back to distract you. Talking Grey's Anatomy, talking fan fiction. I got to say, I was I was very excited that you chose this topic. I, there's a lot of ways in on this that we could start with. I, I guess where I want to start first, even before we drill down into more specifics, is fan fiction to a lot of the, the, the average lay people probably has a very specific connotation. They might associate it with, you know... Um, you know, certain like Harry Potter slash Star Wars slash sci-fi internet culture or whatever. I was kind of energized by just seeing, you know, the areas that you were kind of talking about your personal interest in this. So when, when, when you tell people, hey, I have spent time writing fan fiction, I just was curious, like, what is the, the, the more common reactions? What are the more common reactions that you get? And, and what potential misunderstandings do people have about this genre of writing in general? Um, yeah, so I would say, you know, usually when it comes up, it's almost always something that I throw in to give myself some street cred with like <laughs> younger people. <laughs> um, you know, during from the time that I was writing, which was, you know, a decade ago or so, uh, to now, like fan fiction is much more mainstream in terms of being a more um, core part of fandom. And so you see like... I mean, I think people used to think like cosplay was weird and now it's like right. a celebrated part of Comic-Con, right? Yep. And Comic-Con is this giant thing and there are all of these cons. And so in terms of like people who are into genre specific me like media in terms of like sci-fi fantasy, like fan fiction just kind of goes along with that. Um, and for younger people in particular with like the rise of the internet, like it is a pretty, it's a pretty normal thing to do now. Um, but you know, for people who are even like my age and a little bit older, folks are kind of like, isn't that that weird thing that people do on the internet where you write about <laughs> stuff that's not yours? And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't do the weird stuff because there are like these legendary weird fan fictions that people know about. And like one of them was like My Immortal, which is like this super weird Harry Potter fanfic thing that I never really understood. It's like, this like troll of fanfic culture and writing. Um, but it was something that was really popular uh, when I was in college. Like a lot of people knew about it and talked about it. Um, and then there's 50 shades of gray, which is like one of the most infamous pieces of fan fiction right. ever. Um, and so because that 
because Fifty Shades became such a big phenomenon, that was sort of a lot of people's first introduction to what fan fiction is. So a lot of people who might just know Fifty Shades think of it as like, oh, so you write like bondage stuff? And I'm like, no, not really my jam. Not what I write. <laughs> um, so that's it's been, it's usually pretty funny though. When did you first start watching the show? Because I can very clearly remember watching like the pilot with my wife, um, but I'm I'm quite a bit older. So did you did you kind of come to it through it had already been on for a long time, or just through reruns on TV? Like, how did you first orbit around Grey's in general? I started watching Grey's Anatomy episode five of season one. Oh, okay. So right um, from the start. Yeah. So I watched live for that was the first episode I watched live. Um, it was recommended. It was like back during the time there was no Hulu, so you couldn't like go back. So I didn't actually watch the whole. <laughs> first season until it came out on dvd um which i still have the first and second seasons on dvd um they're just legendary pieces of television um by the way so did I, the, 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 of all the dvd like scams uh associated with like having to buy that technology i i can't i'm of the age where i have a lot of tv seasons on dvd like old seinfeld old buffy and now oh, i yeah. look back and i'm like those were like the the most like expensive things. Those were things I might be like the majority of my Christmas list would be like Simpsons seasons. And now <laughs> half that stuff's online. You don't need any of that stuff. I know it's wild. Like it was such a scam. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would like wait till Black Friday and I would go and get like the Grey's seasons like half off or whatever. Right, or like riff sift through the old blockbuster like bins where they'd get rid of their fifty million copies of whatever else. Anyway, exactly. sorry, didn't mean to cut you off there with my rant against DVD culture. No, but it's real. Um, yeah, so I started watching during that time, and I was just really, really into it. Um, so I would have been. I think Grace premiered in January of 2005, so I would have been 14. Um, and it first came on on Sunday night. And my family loved watching TV on Sunday nights together. Um, we'd been doing that since I was a kid. We had watched uh, Alias um, with Jennifer Garner for a few years uh, previous yep. to when Grace was on. And it was also like during that golden era of ABC Sunday night where it was like Desperate Housewives and then Grace. Um, which it's been on Thursdays for so long that a lot of people forget that it started on Sundays, but it was like a big part of what we did as a family was we would like have dinner, watch some football and we watched us for housewives and grace. Like that was the thing I did with my mom and my sister. Um, and so I don't know, I've always been kind of, I was always like interested in the internet in general. Um, and so I remember going on to the ABC message boards <laughs> and like trolling for like Grey's Anatomy news and analysis and what people were talking about. And I'd never been into a show like that before um, and really probably haven't been been as emotionally invested in a show since. Um, to be honest with you, it was sort of like a one-time thing for me. But during the time that I was like on these message boards and looking at what people were talking about, um, I started seeing this thing about fan fiction. And so people were posting their fan fictions on um, the message boards and then like they would link and then eventually like I think ABC didn't love that which I can understand I suppose and so they started linking out to like these well-known other like Grey's Anatomy fanfic message boards that were popping up um, that were Grey's specific so 
that was like during the time that you might see something like live journals. You'd see like specific like mm-hmm. Grey's Anatomy live journals that were happening. But these were all like forum message board based. Um, and there were like a couple of big ones and there was so much drama around stuff that happened and they would crash. And I don't know, I just got into like reading them and I read a whole bunch of them. Look, when I ventured into this space myself, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, and I- I'm just wondering from your perspective, like now clearly we'll get into like certain storylines and certain like, like, I guess like sort of subgenres within this that, um, you may have contributed more to, but I guess how expansive is the world of fan fiction? Is it everything from, you know, people kind of, uh, leaning into all of the various storylines or, or is what you find is certain specific, uh, creative aspects of the show tend to, to garner the most fan contributions? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, so much of fan fiction revolves around pairings. That's really right. what it comes down to is, and there are different like genres of fan fiction. So you have people who would, and you saw this a lot with Grays at first, people who would write in an episodic fashion. So they were essentially writing like episodes of Grey's Anatomy. And I really didn't like how those were structured, but people were like, some people were really into that. Um, you had folks that would stick within like what is, you know, known as Grey's Anatomy canon. Right. And they, so like, there's always a lot of fan fiction activity right after a show finales and before it premieres. So people who are filling the time during the summer months by writing what they think is going to be happening in the next season. Um, but a lot of, a lot of fan fiction in general revolves around pairing. That's who you want to see together. Um, and depending on the lens that you have on those pairings or relationships or ships, as they are called frequently, um, that determines sort of the lens through which you see the entire rest of the show. So certain and even uh, so to give you an example. So when I first started writing, um, I was a big Meredith and Derek shipper. And so I was writing Meredith and Derek centric fan fiction Hmm. and it wasn't particularly uncommon among people who wrote um, Meredith and Derek, especially the time that I was writing to also pair Christina and Mark together, which never happened on the show ever. Hmm. Like it's not canon at all, but it's very convenient from a writing purpose, from a writing perspective, because those are two characters that are around your two ship, like your two main characters all the time. It's easy just to kind of put them together. Um, and so people would do that a lot. Um, and I kind of low-key shipped Christina and Mark in general. I thought they'd be great together. It just never, it was something that never manifested itself in the show at all. Um, but that's really, I think, like where people come from is you sort of key in on who it is you're looking for. But like in terms of like what's out there, like everything is out there. Like regardless of like what you're looking for in fan fiction, like you can find it. Some of it's super weird. And some of it is like relatively normal, Um, but it just depends on like what you're into. But yeah, there's something for everybody. I I soaked in a lot of this show through osmosis over the years, but it is, it's (laughs) like now reached ER levels of it's been on so long that like the era that I I would know more about would probably has been so far away from now that like, how do I even, um, even sort of, sort of keep up. But uh, what was it about uh, certain storylines that got you into starting it? And what was your process for starting to do it? Because there is a leap between I'm I'm looking at this content, I'm engaging with this content, and now I've become the creator. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Meredith and Derek, at least especially in those early seasons, they really drove the show. 
it was about the two of them. Like there was like, per, there were periphery characters, there were periphery storylines, but Meredith and Derek were like the thing that really got people in. Um, and they were the primary romance. Like there were some other early romances, but a lot of those romances were um, like hookups or they were one and done. Um, but, and even if they were like more, I guess even if they were longer, so I think about like George and Callie and like season two and three, like they didn't really have staying power, obviously. Um, and so there's, I think there that was like a big part of it. Um, but I don't know. I had like been writing stories, sort of like really bad cliche stories like that. Well, that no one should ever see ever. <laughs> and I remember telling my mom about it and she was like, that sounds like Grey's Anatomy. And I was like, it might be Grey's Anatomy. And so that became like <laughs> the basis for my first fic. Um, had I called Growing Pains. I think I rewrote that fic like maybe three times um, in different iterations. But like that was um, like the first story that I wrote. Um, and so I think I just like did it and then posted it. And then, I don't know, I kind of got addicted to the feeling of people reading what you're writing and commenting on it. And, you know, you build a profile and reputation for yourself through like writing fan fiction, you become like known in certain circles. Um, and like, I really, really enjoyed that. And it was like this persona that where I was authentic, like I was myself online, but I didn't like tell people who I was. Like, there are certainly some people that I met through fan fiction that I continue to talk with, including my best friend who was literally in my wedding. <laughs> um, but you know, like a lot of people like never knew who I was fully. Um, and especially since I have a really common name, I never really worried about it because even if you knew that my name was Katie Barnes, like good luck finding me. There are like <laughs> eight million of us. What was the overall, um, community reaction to the writing? Like, was it a supportive community? Was it one that was willing to sort of say, Hey, not my favorite, but I see what you're going for. Or was it look like so many parts of internet culture fraught with snarky, trolly behavior when you aren't sort of living up to what their expectations of your art, uh, should be. Um, yeah, at the beginning it was really, really good. Um, and so there were, and there were communities. So like you, know, you were part, like I was a part of a couple of message boards over that time. And, you know, a couple of them had chat rooms. And so we would like be on the chat and like, every, and like everybody knew who everybody else was. And we talked to each other. It was like a thing that I like I did for, that like took up a lot of my time, especially in late high school and early college. Um, and it's like, you know, you meet people and you cultivate those relationships. And you decide whether or not you're gonna take those relationships off of the board or not. Um, and then like on fanfiction.net, which is still like the big one, although some younger fandoms will post on what's known as AO3, which is archive of our own. Um, and it's a newer site. But even so, like for me, it was really, really supportive. Like people would write back, say, oh, I like this, or I didn't like this. And people would do like big comments where they'd go through the whole piece and like copy sentences that they liked and give you like real meaningful substantive feedback. There are always a couple of really great commenters like that. Some folks just said, great, you know, like just depended. And then like near the end, there was like, I, I mean, I was, I've never even talked about this. There's some stuff that was going on that was really like creepy where someone or multiple someones were like really being nasty on some of my fix. Um, like in a, on a level that was like 
kind of like really scary. Um, I had been dating someone for a really long time who I met through fan fan fiction actually. Um, and that was known like in general that the, the our two usernames were together. Um, and so like somebody who was commenting was like coming like really mean personal things. Um, and I stopped for a while, partly because of that. And then when I came back, even like a year or two later, like it was just kind of a one-off, um, that person came back too. And that was really creepy. And I've like been done ever since. So I was like, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Um, so what were the, t- you know, it's up to you how much you want to actually talk about the, you know, what you explored within the writing, but what were some of your favorite potential storylines or narrative arcs that, that you really, you know, don't mind sharing and, and feel, feel strongly about for whatever reason? Yeah. I, mean, I don't mind sharing because I took it all off the internet. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I did I did spend a little bit of time in various forums just sort of hunting around to see if I ran, I could run into you and, and find more of it. And then I, I then I eventually I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to go like super creepy here. Like if she wants to kind of, you know, they want to share, uh, they want to share what they, what they want. Like we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah, no, it is gone. I finally deleted it like last year. Um, I'm sure there are copies of it around at different places. I can know that's, uh, that people downloaded it at certain points. Um, but in general, I erased it. And a couple of the message boards I used to be a part of are gone too. So I didn't really have to delete those. Um, but yeah, and I'll talk about it. So I, I mentioned I wrote Meredith and Derek for a long time um, at the beginning. And I kind of had fallen off. Um, but then Callie and Arizona got together. And yep. that happened in season five. And that brought me back. I got really excited. I was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. <laughs> and so I started writing Cali and Arizona fan fiction. Um, and that would have been, man, like right in the middle of college for me. Um, and so I was not a canon writer. Um, I didn't like, pos- like, I, like some people are really good at like writing about like the technical medical stuff and like making it seem real. And I'm like, that's just not who I am. I don't write about surgeries. <laughs> right. I know nothing. I don't do science. Like, no, thank you. Um, and so even if I was like, I, so I would typically write like, I don't know, what's known as alternate universe writing, where you take the characters and you put them in a universe that you created. And sometimes things are the same. Sometimes they're different. So I would either go with, like, I would take them in high school or I'd take them in college um, because that was the age that I was. or I would do something where I might shift how Cali and Arizona met um, and like the circumstances of their meeting, like maybe like their occupations are still the same. They work at different hospitals, but I typically focused on the relationships and stayed out of um, like stayed out of like the medical stuff completely. Um, but I never really did the same thing twice. One time I did get fancy and I decided to do like a Romeo and Juliet um mm. uh, a story and it was probably one of my most successful stories they're not in terms of like page views or engagement or comments like a lot of people really hated it because i did kill one of them <laughs> um, <laughs> but from a like a writing perspective in terms of doing what i set out to do and being really successful in actually adapting romeo and juliet in a sellable way um I was good. I would like, I did a good job at that. And so that was really cool. Yeah. You know, the Calzona storylines are fascinating and I did find my way onto different, uh, 
boards and and, and looked at a few. I'm not going to lie. I, when I went into it, I was expecting them to be a little bit more along like uh, like the erotica lines or, or like Fifty Shades yeah. like you were talking about before. And I was really intrigued to see how many of the stories were more about just the emotional connection between the characters had or trying to maybe take moments in the show where there were deep tensions, um, you know, cause there was, there was a storyline around infidelity and to dive into those and reconciliation between the characters. It mm-hmm. does seem that there was a distinctly emotional connection between this particular couple and the fans. And they were, I, I, I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but there was a, it seemed to be like a real yearning to probe deeper into their relationship and to make the relationship work. Um, now, I'm not saying everybody was trying to, but in the stuff I was reading, it, it did. It, it really did seem like they were the fans were rooting for them to work and wanted and wanted to be part of that process. How would you sum up the the way that people identified and cared about these characters? And and do you feel like they were always trying or hoping that the, that things would work out, or or maybe they were more likely to probe some of the tensions and and the distance between the characters at various times in the show too? So fan fiction, I think, especially for queer people. Um, is a way to write yourself into a show or a book or whatever piece of media that you're into Mm. to write yourself into that media. Um, And, you know, Cal and Arizona, when they got together on the show, they were the first LGBTQ couple on network television ever, Mm -hmm. right? Like Callie was the longest running bisexual character on television ever. Um, and Arizona, I think was the first lesbian, like, and so there was a lot of investment, uh, from queer women in particular into Grey's Anatomy as a show because of Cali and Arizona. Um, and that's important because of how the arc of that relationship went and also like placing Grey's Anatomy in a larger discussion about representation on television. Like the idea that two women could be together and could be happy was just something that didn't typically happen on TV. A lot of times one half of a queer couple dies um, and they die like usually like right after like a happy moment. Like, oh, good. You got to like have sex. Okay. Now one of you is dead. Like, and uh, you know, when there was like all this outrage about like Clark and Lexa from the 100 later, years later um, from like the period of time that we're talking about with Grey's Anatomy, like that was why. Um, it's just exceedingly rare to have a queer female couple in love on TV. And so that drove a ton of emotional investment. Um, And in particular, you know, you look at the history of Grey's Anatomy, like the first two seasons were like record-breakingly successful. Um, The third season got a little weird. The fourth season was right in the middle of the writer's strike. Um, And so it was a compressed season and ratings were down. And, in a lot of ways, like queer women and the way that they flocked to that show really saved Grey's Anatomy. Um, and, you know, seasons five and season six are two of the best ever in the history of the show, in my personal opinion. Um, and so, like, I think that the sh- that fans of the show, in particular queer, queer female fans, were just heavily, like, emotionally invested. It was the first time that they got to see anybody that looked like them and expressed love like them on TV. Um, and that cannot be understated for its importance. Um, and I think that's reflected in the fan fiction itself. And I mean, like, yeah, there's, a, I mean, you know, 
it's Cali in Arizona, like, you know, you can find stuff that goes beyond the emotional. There's plenty of like erotica involved, but a lot of the fans, I think, just really loved the characters and they loved them together. And because they were not Meredith and Derek, they didn't get like prime screen time. And so, you know, there were moments that were talked about on the show that we never actually saw. And so writers would really delve into those moments and try and play them out. There were things that happened on the show that didn't make any sense to anyone because we didn't really get to see that character development. And so people would explore those and say, okay, well, this is actually what was going to happen. Knowing what we know about the characters, how might this play out? And they would write from that perspective. Um, and I think, I mean, I'll be honest, like I stopped watching Grey's Anatomy, the finale of season nine, um, which was the episode that Arizona cheated on Callie and I was done. I was really upset (laughs) and I never went back Um, mostly. And I kept tabs on them. Um, I was really sad when Sada Ramirez left the show and Callie's character left. And then Arizona Robbins, um, Jessica Capshaw, who plays her, she left the show, I want to say two seasons ago. Um, And I watched her scenes in that episode because I wanted to see how they wrapped up that storyline. And it was just all kind of a bummer. I think, you know, my perspective is that the writers on the show just kind of messed around a little bit with Cali and Arizona a little bit too much. Um, and they, they didn't give them a proper like resolution just because of how long they kind of dragged some of this stuff out in ways that I would say is not authentic to who those characters are. I think that's true. I think a lot of fans felt that way. And I think that shows up in their writing where people are kind of searching for answers or they're offering their own because the show has let them down in a certain way. How much of that do you chalk up to... Look, the nature of ongoing, uh, you know, somewhat soapier type of dramatic television where, you know, the stakes are consistently raised and then re-raised and and as characters stay on the show, uh, you know, I always joke that if you keep watching like a serious like sort of uh, you know, drama on television. Like uh, you, you're going to get the shooting episodes, then you're going to get the car crash, the, the characters' deaths. How much of that do you, do you say? Like, eventually, the the writers were just sort of on a treadmill with these characters, trying different things out. You know, perhaps less concerned with the you know the authenticity of them versus I think the broader issue. And you mentioned representation. That here you have this these two women characters that are in a loving authentic relationship that means a lot for people who do not see that uh, accurately portrayed on television. And perhaps the writers didn't have the depth, uh, you know, as a unit or, or whatever, didn't have the depth of understanding of how to develop them in a way that felt more credible to the audience that they spoke the most to. Yeah. I mean, I think that could be part of it. I mean, this was so long ago um, in in many ways, you know, I, part of me wonders if Cali and Arizona happened on Grey's Anatomy today, would it be different? And it might be, um, in terms of just the cultural competency and terms of what even is seen as being allowed to happen on television, the network television, like we're talking about the mid late two thousands, you know, like marriage equality was not available, um, until four years ago. And so Cali and Arizona got married before marriage equality could happen mm-hmm. uh, much of the country. And like, and I think, and I, you know, you're right about this tension. Like Grey's Anatomy is super soapy. Like a lot of stuff happened um, and it's ridiculous. And like they're in the plane crash episode which yeah. is the finale of season eight, you know, Christina is like wandering around the woods and she, and Mary said something to her about 
trying to go back and she's like, why would I want to go back to Seattle Grace Mercy death? Like, <laughs> right. And so like the show is also kind of aware of that. Like part of its charm is that like, it's ridiculous. You have ferry boat accidents. You have people being stuck together on a freaking pole. You have like just all kinds of like crazy stuff that goes down. Plane crashes, you know, shootings in the hospital. Um, anything that could possibly happen to a person has happened to Meredith Grey. Um, and so like on one hand, like that's just a part of the show in a way that like when we talk about like people dying on Game of Thrones, like that's a part of the show, right? It's like a part of the core character of, te- of that television. But what I would say is that Callie and Arizona were not happy for very long. So it's not like they were happy for like eight seasons. Then somebody were like, listen, they can't just yeah. be happy. Yeah. Like, you know, there were very, like, there are very few episodes that you can point to that are just really good, nice Cali and Arizona content. Like, I can, like, name them. There are that few. Um, and, you know, like, yes, they get married, but, like, Arizona, like, proposed, and then Cali gets, like, thrown from a car. Um, and she's pregnant with Mark's baby because <laughs> Arizona went to Africa, and Cali slept with Mark because she was, like, looking for connection and she and, and she and Arizona had broken up and then Arizona comes back and then she accepts this baby and they get in this car crash and it's a musical episode and it's ridiculous and then they get married later in the season and then like after that you know they're married for a season and a half and Arizona gets in a plane crash and her leg is amputated and she blames Callie for that and by the end of season nine Arizona cheats on her and it's like wait a minute like this is wild. They've only been together since episode, like their first date was literally episode 14 of season five. And by the time we get to the end of season nine, like it's just like wild to me that like all of this has happened. It's like they haven't even been happy. And yeah. And that was partly why I left. I was like, you can't like, it's just, I found it to be a complete mismanagement of the characters and just a total slap in the face to LGBTQ fans, particularly particularly queer women who had flocked to the show because of this representation. And Shonda gets her GLAAD award and she tells the fans that Cali and Arizona are made for each other. And then she like breaks them up and just has them do like stupid shit that doesn't need to happen. <laughs> and so like, for me, that was really the core of it. But, and and also, because at that time, I was like, okay, you can tell me that this is about, you know, it's a soap, so you got to keep stuff moving. Everybody has crazy stuff happen to them. Like, they're not, like, Callie and Arizona aren't special. But I was like, but Meredith and Derek are always going to be together. And then when Derek died in season 11, I almost came back. I was like, you know what? That's almost enough to get me back to watch the show. I thought about it for a minute. <laughs> because then, because you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, not everybody is safe if Derek Shepard can be killed on this show. Right. Um, but yeah, like, for me, I think that while I appreciate so much, especially seasons five and six that we got with Cali in Arizona, I ultimately was deeply disappointed and continue to be disappointed in how the show managed their character arcs. Um, because, you know, I think writers in a writer's room, they forget that people remember everything. You know, like devoted fans of, of, of a ship are going to know everything about that ship. So like, you know, even when you look at Callie and Arizona getting married, I'm like, 
Callie and her dad, did they reconcile? Her parents aren't really there. Arizona's parents show up, but Callie's sister doesn't show up. Like you mentioned that Callie has a sister and we've never, and we never, ever saw her. I was like, how is this possible? Like (laughs) her sister gets thrown through a window and is half dead. And like having these musical singing experiences and we never see her sister. Come on. Like Aria doesn't show up. Like ridiculous. And so (laughs) like, there are just these things and every fan of any ship or any character on that show We'll be able to point to those inconsistencies for their own particular pairing. Um, and on an ensemble show like Grey's, like in some ways, the ensemble is just so large and unwieldy. Like you can't build out all of those characters. And that's where fan fiction comes in because people come in and they do build out these characters in ways that are often personal to them. Um, and that give the characters a little bit more life and depth. Um, that simply can't happen in a 43-minute television show. How much did were, were people talking collectively amongst yourselves about the flaws in the portrayal and whether we should be asking for more from the creators of the show. Oh, people were pissed. <laughs> like absolutely pissed. I am like, I think, and you know, I go back to season five and six, like those are the core Cali and Arizona seasons where like the stuff, like that's where like the fandom really latched on to those characters and then kind of like prayed that we would get glimpses of who those people are even when like all the bullshit started to happen right like and really i think what people were angry about is not necessarily that something was unrealistic from like what like a queer relationship looks like but i think people were always really happy with that um and happy that like you know, we got to see two queer women in love with each other. um, And one of whom is bisexual. And like, so the fandom that at least the communities that I was a part of, people were upset because they felt like that certain actions from the characters were completely out of what was established as who that character is. Um, So, I mean, I think the cheating and people, and, you know, Shonda explained it as PTSD. at the end of season nine is a big one. Um, and then also like Callie trying to take Sophia, their child away from Arizona. <laughs> um, and like this custody hearing and this happened, I think it was season, what are we on season 14? It was like season 11 or 12, um, right before Sada Ramirez left the show. And it was just like the most wild thing. Like Callie would never do that. Um, you know, Arizona, who has been, who gave this like impassioned speech to Callie's dad in season five about being a good man in a storm, then literally cheats on her wife in a storm. <laughs> and like, I just, and I can sort of buy certain parts of, I can buy like certain things in terms of how people think that she got there. But from a storytelling perspective, you have to also bring this, you have to bring the viewer along on that ride. And I don't think that they were all that the writers were always successful in doing that. And that was when the fans got upset. Um, well, even I, even I wasn't happy with the, the when she had to have her leg amputated, and just an entire season's worth of blaming, um, you know, blaming Callie. Right? I mean, it, and right. I, I hear like the interpretation of PTSD and stuff, but it, even at the time, I remember being like. Oh come on! Like <laughs> I know it was like it was wild, and then, and and the reason I say that it was a betrayal, like that I felt like it was a betrayal of Arizona's character, 
is not because like, you know, there's some sort of weakness in admitting that you are struggling with PTSD or in seeking support for that or in, you know, ending up struggling with PTSD following a traumatic incident. Like all of that is valid and fair. It's that you have built a character around this idea that she is strong when it matters. And yet when she gets put in in this situation, instead of having the strength to admit that she needs help, she lashes out at her partner. And like, it just didn't make any sense from, I think, a storytelling perspective to do that without any sort of context of like why this was happening. Like, yes, her leg was amputated in a plane crash. Like, duh. Okay. Obviously that's traumatic. But also, like, she comes from a military family. Like, show me calling <laughs> her dad to talk about that. Right. right? Like, you know, give me something. And instead, we just get her blaming Callie. Like, Arizona loves Callie with all her heart. She didn't blame Callie for sleeping with Mark and getting pregnant with his child before agreeing to co-parent with her. <laughs> right. But she blames her for saving her life through amputated, through deciding to amputate her leg. Like, I, like, I just, I just don't buy that. Um, and that is where I think a lot of fans were just like really, really upset because it, we couldn't make sense of it. Like you can make sense of characters making bad decisions or making decisions that you don't agree with, but that you see why that they did that. Um, with Cali and Arizona, there were some really rough parts of their storylines where it was really hard to do that. It was really alienating for the community, I think, but obviously a bunch of people stuck around anyway because that's what you do. I just didn't have it in me. <laughs> well, you mentioned leaving. How, look, to go from having such a level of fandom to want to think creatively and to write about these characters to cold turkey, I'm out, hands up, like done. It seems like a very abrupt change. So how were you able to sort of walk away and not be tempted to at least rewatch I mean you mentioned catching up with some of the characters but how do you just like suddenly turn away and not kind of get sucked back in and I say this very sympathetically I mean most of my humor was formed from the Simpsons I've now missed more seasons than I ever watched uh because I quit watching the show in like the late 90s so I understand walking away from something that that means so much to you but uh, it was a slow, it was kind of a slow pull away from me with a lot of second chances and talking myself back into it. This seems like much more cold turkey, right? Yeah, it was pretty abrupt. I have not watched an episode of Grey's Anatomy since the season nine finale. <laughs> <laughs> that's, an imp- um, that's impressive discipline right there. I, I really, I, yeah. I'm, I'm saying that no, no, no kidding around. I, I, I'm into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like part of it was my true disappointment with the show and like just in protest saying i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that anymore um i'm really mad about it i'm not watching because this is bullshit like there's like there's a bit like the dominant part of it was that but then the other part like to be totally honest you know was that gray's anatomy was special to me in terms of it was something that i really enjoyed but like i also met someone that i was with for four and a half years um through the show and we broke up i want to say it was the summer after the season nine finale (laughs) so like when that happened there also i also lost another emotional connection to the show and i think in terms of like just shutting that chapter of my life like I, i just didn't go back um but it wasn't but that was in terms of like watching the show 
I continued to read fan fiction for many years after. Um, uh, Cali and Arizona fan fiction specifically. And I read it, uh, especially like during the end of college and beginning of grad school, I, I read a lot. Like I finished some of the fics that I was into um, and kept tabs on people. And I was still, and I wasn't involved in the community as much. Um, at one point I did go back and try to uh, revisit some of my own unfinished fics because I stopped writing too. Um, and I started working on them and I thought like I would finish them. And then even as an adult, I remember I went back and I took down a couple of them because they had identifying information and I was suddenly writing at ESPN. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I don't want people to find me <laughs> right. and associate them with me. So then I started to rewrite them and strip that identifying information out. And I still just like never finished them. And then last year I took them all down. So like, and the cold turkey part was watching the show. But like, as far as, you know, the, that investment in the community and the characters, like I continued that. Like for years, I watched episodes, not episodes, I watch, would watch clips of the Cali and Arizona scenes through episodes, especially as I was hearing chatter about what was going on. Cause it's so connected to the community in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was like, but for the most part, I've been kind of out on it, but I thought about it for a while. I might, my partner, my wife, she's never seen the show. Um, and so I might like sit down and say, we're going to watch all 15 seasons. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to You, you may want to think about that. There's a lot. I know. There's a, I mean, just a lot of, a lot of, a lot of shootings, a lot of hostage situations, right? Over the years, I mean, I might be mixing up my shows, but I just, it just feels like, and, and, and these days, I mean, who, who, how are you going to find the time? Because they're, they're hour long dramas, and there's like t- probably twenty to twenty four episodes per season. It's not like in the Netflix days where they they do a tight eight and they call it, you know, they call it done. They call it good, yeah. <laughs> no, it's well, a lot of hours of television, but the, the seasons have gotten shorter over the years. And season one is only nine episodes. Yeah. Um, Season two, I think, is the longest. It's like 22 or it's 26. It might be 26. It's a really long season. But season four is shorter. And like season six is only like 23 episodes. Like they get shorter as you go on, especially now. Right. I don't even know. They might be only like 20 episode seasons. <laughs> well, you've been so generous with your time. Uh, but to close out, how did this experience of writing fan fiction inform your own personal writing style? Was there a distinct, you know, uh, or were there, were there certain aspects of your voice that were sharpened or, uh, you know, elevated because of your experience in this, or am I just kind of reaching there? Oh, you're not reaching at all. I think, I, I think there are two things that writing fan fiction gave me. One was that I'm good at mimicking things. So, you know, I can sort of dissect like, well, I did. I learned how to write through dissecting who Callie is as a person and writing to mimic who she is on the show, right? Like, even like the hallmark of a good fan fiction writer is that you can take the characters and put them into a situation and change their names, and it still feels like those original characters because the whole characterization is built on all of this like knowledge that you already have about them. And like the way that they move and how they talk and like all of these things, like you should be able to feel those characters. And so I learned how to do that um, at a young age, which now as someone who like has a higher ed degree and has a bachelor's in like 
American studies and Russian studies and history, (laughs) not journalism, um, was sort of dropped into a place like ESPN was like, here, go write a narrative feature. It's like, oh, I don't really know how to do that. So I would read all of those writers and I would dissect what they were doing and be able to say, oh, this is how they place their quotes and where they place them. This is what they're doing when they write scene. This is how they use details and try and figure out how to mimic that style um, to then find my own. And I don't think I would have been nearly as successful doing that. Not that like, I like, I don't consider myself to be a great like narrative feature writer, but you know, the reason that I've gotten to where I am at now, I think is largely because I was I had so much practice doing that kind of analysis with fan fiction. Um, But then the other thing is that what's funny is that a lot of the feedback that I've gotten around my features is that I write really good scenes. And that 1,000% comes from fan fiction. Hmm. Um, I did not learn how to do that by writing 20-page history papers or, um, you know, self-analytical essays that I did in grad school. Like, that came from, you know, taking a reader and setting a scene for a piece of fan fiction that I would write. Um, And it's funny to me that, like, that is what is remarked on most frequently. Um, Because it just, you know, it reminds me of, like, you know, where I came from in a certain regard. Like, anytime someone says that to me, I know exactly why I'm able to write scene the way that I do. And it is because I spent so much time doing it on the Internet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's awesome. You know, like I said, this topic was a lot of fun to dive into. And I had a blast kind of breaking it down for to, to close out anyone listening to this who's like, I thought about writing fan fiction. Uh, what would you say to them? Oh my God, I told them to do it. Like the best thing about writing is that it's a skill. It's something that you cultivate over time. I think sometimes when we talk about writing, people feel like, you know, you either have it or you don't. And that is 1000% not true. Um, like, I think that one of the reasons I ended up being a writer was because I wrote so much as a kid and I've discovered that I liked telling stories and I wouldn't have been able to do that without fan fiction. Um, I also discovered that I don't particularly like creating my own characters for the purposes of telling a novel. So I would steal them from television. Um, <laughs> like, and all of that's really important. Like, I think if you're super into something and you want to express yourself in that way, like fan fiction's a great way to dip your toe in the water and figure out like what writing is all about and how to write uh, consistently, um, how to finish something that you start, which as a writer is one of the hardest things that you can ever do. Um, yeah, it's great. You could do it. <laughs> And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things. And then we tell them, stop being interesting. You're being a locker room distraction. And that's ridiculous. Okay. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, I celebrate distractions every week by telling you what's distracting me. And this one's going to be super short and super sweet and super braggy. So bear with me. My six-year-old daughter the other day noticed that I have a little slab of leather. Kind of imagine the shape of a foot with no toes right? Like the outline of a foot. It's brown leather, smooth surface. She's like, why is this on your keychain? I looked at it for a little bit, trying to place it. When did I get this? Why is it there? Oh, and then I did place it. In 1995, 
I got, as a sophomore in high school, I got my first pair of Birkenstock sandals. With those leather sandals came a leather keychain with the Birkenstock logo kind of pushed into it or elevated on it, whatever you want to call it. Now, that logo has been rubbed off over the years of being in my pockets and being touched and grabbed or whatever. So it's like a smooth surface. It's like a moon rock that just too many people walked by and touched, and now it looks like a, like a, like a smooth pebble or a seashell. So there's no evidence it was ever from the Birkenstock. So it's just been staying on there forever. Or else I, I would be clearly getting like, I mean, no knock to the fine people at Birkenstock. And I was a huge, I was like the original ambassador for you all in the mid 90s. Uh, I wore them with socks and everything. But uh, it's been a long time since I've owned a pair of Birkenstocks. But what this means is I got those shoes, I got those sandals in 95 in the spring when I was a sophomore in high school and before I could drive. So the only keys on my keychain were house keys that I used to get in and out of the house when my mom wasn't around or coming home too late or whatever else. So I'm guessing this was the first ever key set that I owned for me to put that on there and then for it to stay on there in perpetuity, which means, dear listener, and this is the braggy part, I've never fucking lost my keys ever. (laughs) I've never lost a set of keys. Those keys have seen multiple homes, multiple dorms, uh, keys, uh, g- potentially girlfriend keys, uh, you know, my wife's keys, multiple cars, uh, a, from the Pontiac station wagon to the Saturn to a white Plymouth to an Oldsmobile Alero to the, my wife's Jetta, which I drove until it caught on fire on uh, in Lake Zurich and got put out by the nice people at the Lake Zurich Fire Department, all the way up to what I'm currently moping around Chicago in now, I've kept those keys forever. And yes, I firmly realize that by bragging about this on this podcast, I am tempting fate in the worst way. (laughs) And it's going to be like three episodes from now that I say, I left my keys in Battle Creek, Michigan, or in a hotel room, or I dropped them in, uh, I dropped them in the lavatory in the toilet and I couldn't get them out or whatever out. You know, I don't know. I know I'm tempting fate, but I just want to say, super fun, not just to be reminded about those Birkenstock sandals, which I did love, and I wore until like your feet were like going through the base of them and touching the pavement, uh, but that I've, I've remained loyal to the brand to wear it, <laughs> even beyond the recognition of the brand. So take that for what it's worth. It's been a good quarter century with you on, you know, riding, riding, on my, riding at my side, Birkenstock sandals. So there you go. All right, well, that's our show for this week. Shout out to everyone reaching out about, about Gareth last week. Go to my Facebook page, personal Facebook page, if you, if you, if you want to uh, uh, you know, see a little bit more about that. Or jump on Twitter. It got some links up on there. Just Not Sports on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Just Not Sports. I'm everywhere Gareth's not in the digital world, basically. And shout out to my guest this week, Katie Barnes. Loved hearing them break down not just the fandom and the fan community around Grey's Anatomy, but the art of fan fiction and what it means for creative people to be exploring and riffing on these characters, to be you know putting them into other situations, into more relatable situations. I thought that was super fascinating. That's why I do this show, not just to not just to to run back the stuff that I know about, but to really learn and probe what makes other people tick. So really appreciate Katie coming on for that. And 
More shows to come. I got a lot of things I'm really close on that you're really going to enjoy. Maybe some guests who have been on before that were, you know, well received. Maybe some new folks. Uh, chasing hard as always, and uh, appreciate all your feedback. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, stay booty. Come together,